have you not seen that? My name is Wilson. I'm Charles. And I'm Crossman. How have you not seen that is a podcast where we discuss movies that we have not seen. These are often films within the cinematic canon, within uh, the larger popular landscape that we have been dishonest about in the past, perhaps been at a party or a social engagement, or someone asked us about a movie if we've seen. We want to lie to see more cool, more with it, more in tune, and we confess those lies here. This week, Charles's confession was Lethal Weapon, and Charles, frankly, I'm stunned you haven't seen this movie. This <laughs> seems like something that is right up your alley. Uh, so tell us about Lethal Weapon. Okay, so in Lethal Weapon, um, two cops team up to investigate an apparent suicide of a woman who jumped off a building. Some hijinks ensue because the cops have very opposing personalities. One of them is like an old family man who lives in the suburbs, and the other is a lonely and suicidal, kind of unhinged sort of cop. So they work together to crack this case, and they discover that the girl hadn't jumped and killed herself, but was actually murdered and happened to fall off the building. And through further investigation, this leads to them discovering a heroin import sort of deal. I think it was former CIA um, people, something like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then Murtaugh's daughter, he's the family guy, gets kidnapped, and they go and rescue her and fight the the drug dealer dude and kill them off. Yeah, and he learns to not kill himself. Yeah, that's the that's, that's the big thing. How do you cure depression? Beat up Gary Busey. <laughs> seems to be the answer here. Charles, what did you expect this movie to be like? I guess I'm not entirely sure. I didn't know too much about this movie. I knew that it spawned an entire franchise, and there's even a TV show going right now. Is that still on? I thought yeah. I, I, yeah. I really is it okay. Yeah. Um, okay? It didn't look very good, the TV show, no. but uh, I know that that existed. I know that I'm too old for this shit reference. Beyond that, I guess that's all I knew. Right? I knew it was like a buddy cop sort of thing, but I didn't know what else to expect. Right? Yeah, I mean, to me, this movie is like. Just what it promises, right? Like, it's the quintessential best example of, like, a 80s buddy cop movie. And that's what it is, right? Yeah. That, 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 that feels, I mean, and it works, and that feels well right to me. I guess my issue with this kind of movie is that... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm surprised by that take. <laughs> no, I mean, there's problems with this movie, right? But <laughs> I, To me, this movie is, like, totally bonkers. Oh, like, okay. It's, like, total madness. Like... Great. It's mostly about suicide. Yeah, it was like, way more about suicide than I remember. Like the main character is like, okay, re, so I, I've, I have seen this movie before, but mostly sure. bits and pieces on TV. It's on TV and, all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So to me, I'm just like putting together a you know a patchwork of sittings that sure. in this movie. Watching it straight through is a much more different experience, and when not watching it on TV is is pretty different movie all right and because mm-hmm. i i have seen it straight through but I, that was a while ago and my more recent memories are that it's just like the bits and pieces on tv in my mind this is just like a you know buddy cop like action comedy yeah I mean, whereas like it's not that at all it's like mostly about suicide and it's pretty dark and <laughs> sort of this like weird right-wing fantasy about uh police and policing and you know, how bureaucracy gets in the way of like real policing, which which I guess is like a normal like eighties cop movie thing, but this movie just felt like total madness to me. Like, I, yeah, to, to it, me, like the crazy part is the the suicide theme that's kind of central to the film. Yeah, um, a lot of like the the texture and the the connecting tissue of this movie does feel like pretty stock, you know, eighties buddy cop stuff mm, to me. Yeah, um, which is fine. Like it does that well. 
Um, and then, yeah, predictably, it has bad politics. You know, like, what a, what a stunner. But, um, so for me, I guess, yeah, I get the, the bonkers angle, and I was surprised by the suicide content as well. Um, but it also still just functions as a 80s buddy cop action movie, right? I, I don't know if it does. No, like, you, you don't think it even functions like that? Like, just, like, cinematically? I mean, it's so <laughs> bizarre in its take on <laughs> things where... I was surprised by it's a, a Shane Black movie. It's his first movie. Yeah. Like, this is what made him famous. He wrote this, like, right out of college. Oh, After wow. watching yeah. some of his other films, I'm, like, really surprised by it. This being... Right, and I want to talk about that, because yeah. that was my biggest takeaway from this movie, like, how this fits into Shane Black's development as a writer and a director. Yeah. Uh, and I think it does. Like, I think there are very clear connections between this movie and things like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man 3 and... Nice guys, um, but I'd still I'd mostly read it as an action movie. How did you, what did you think about this, Charles? Like, how did, what was your impressions of it? I feel like overall it didn't seem like it was doing anything that special for the buddy cop movie genre. Sure, I don't know if it like started off this archetype or something. It's the late '80s. I don't know if it was like a if that's when it started. Um, but it just felt almost exactly like every other one that I've seen, like almost to a T, except for like a few scenes where uh, Riggs is trying to kill himself. Everything else seemed just exactly the same as what I would expect. And so for most of the movie, I can't admit, but I mean, I can't help but admit that I was a bit bored. Okay. that's. I mean, I think it does kind of lay down the framework for some of these tropes. Yeah. Like I think there are, that the stuff that happens in Lethal Weapon is lifted by a lot of other movies that came after it. Um, but it, it, I don't think it would be fair to say it invented the genre either. Like it's doing other things. But yeah, yeah and, I was... and I guess like since we've been talking about Shane Black, I I really loved like the other guys and some of nice other guys. nice guys. God damn it. Okay, <laughs> too many similar word movies. Um, I really liked that movie, uh, and I expected some similarly like snappy writing in this one. But I guess I mean it's his first work, so he hasn't had time to refine his craft yet. So like the movie wasn't as funny as I thought it might be based on the advertising. I, I didn't find it funny like at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were yeah. some other issues we can get back to later. I think you're about to. Yeah, no, I, I think there were jokes in here. Like the one where he tries to buy all the heroin for $100. <laughs> I think that one worked, worked for me pretty well. Um, and I guess I appreciated like the uh, relationship between Riggs and the Glover character who's named Murtaugh. Um, I guess that worked for me as well. So to me, I read this as a essentially functional movie that has this bizarre suicide theme at the center of it there yeah there are yeah. at least like three suicides or attempted and or right because uh, you have successful suicides well, in this. It, it opens with a woman hopping off the balcony yeah right so like that it certainly reads as a suicide in the moment even if they decide later on it somehow isn't um, you have him with the gun in his mouth at like 20 minutes in. And it seems to be Bugs Bunny convinces him not to pull the <laughs> Something like trigger. this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you have the guy that hops off the roof. Which is played for laughs. Or... Which is kind of played for laughs, but also it's like then they have that that tete-a-tete in the abandoned storefront across the street. And that's like much more serious and like yeah. much more explicit suicidal imagery. And then when Riggs and Murdoch first hook up, they like have a conversation about his suicidal tendencies. Um, so, and I'm sure there are other examples that escape me right at the moment. Yeah. But, yeah, it's here. It, it's here a lot. I was, I was taken aback by how 
intense the suicide imagery was. Yeah. How, how did it yeah, that, work for you? That first... I, it was just a lot darker movie than I, yeah. I was expecting. Like, yeah. none of the comedy holds up for me, like, really. There's there's a joke here or there. Yeah. Um, it's just, like, a lot darker than I was expecting. And they, they really just, like... Do you... They, they, like, they murder, like, most of the suspects of the crimes <laughs> that they run into. Right. Uh, like, in that drug deal, that joke is immediately followed by him murdering, like, three people. At least. Yeah. And, and then... Begging someone to shoot him. Yeah, to so shoot him. Suicide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I was like, what is happening in this movie? This is like not a buddy cop comedy like at all. Yeah, yeah. Not in the way I... I mean, to me, I think it still has enough of the stuff. that like, Here's these mismatched partners, right? Like they're put together and neither of them want to be there. Yeah. And they establish a relationship as they investigate these crimes. And they grow to, you know, care about one another and become close. And because they're close, they're able to overtake the bad guys, right? Like, yeah. to me, that follows like a very normal kind of pattern of buddy cop movies that we have seen before and since Lethal Weapon, right? Like that part, I think, is very conventional. Sure. Um, on the other hand, it also has the one of them is legitimately mentally ill. And yeah. that is not what usually happens in these movies. And I think that does set this movie apart. Here, That is a, that is a fair observation. Uh, it's, it's brought in that he's a... Uh, or, it's implied that he's like a Vietnam War veteran. It's I don't know that he's a Vietnam War veteran. Is it multiple times? Stated? It's okay. That he's a Vietnam War oh. veteran. Yeah. I don't know if they ever like came up. Like they say that he's a special <laughs> ops kind of sniper. But yeah. Yeah. He says he's like eighty percent of the characters are Vietnam veterans. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He states that he's in Laos, which is means he fought in the Vietnam War. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was that was interesting, and then the people that they're like chasing are also like involved in Vietnam. Right. They. Uh, murdered a bunch of people there yeah something for drugs um so it's interesting to bring that into it that he's like essentially like a ptsd sufferer yeah although that that it seems like what they're saying is that he's depressed because his wife died yeah yeah i think that's what's going that on. seems shoehorned in though because like we never it's mentioned twice and i don't know if we ever really learned how she died uh in a car accident oh that's right they okay, say like right. offhand it's right. like in a, in a car accident um but that, it's only mentioned there, and then at the very end of the film, where he like he shows a better grave. Yeah, and he puts the flag up on her grave. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, but well, otherwise, he's like holding the photo when he's when he's going to shoot himself the right. first time. Yes. So you have that. You have the bit of the grave, and then there's a moment where he says like, or somebody says he's upset about his wife being dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then like that's obviously contrasted with the Murtai character, who's like defined by the his domesticity and his his family. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I don't even disagree with you, I guess, but uh, I think I read it as a more conventional movie than, uh, yeah. I mean, to me, the, the whole suicide theme felt, it, it kind of fell off maybe a third or a half of the way through the movie and they, it, yeah. I looked for it and they never really came back to it. So they, they never address it. They don't really look too much into like Riggs's character development with relation to that bit of him. It just kind of disappears. Yeah, well, it, it, he does have a line towards the end of the movie where he says, like, I don't want to kill myself anymore or I'm looking yeah. forward tomorrow or some nonsense like that. And the messaging of the movie seems to be that the cure to depression is to just, like, have a good day at work. Or <laughs> <laughs> to, like, get the bad guy Shoot or something some bad like, guys. <laughs> like that. And to me, that is just gibberish. Like that, if you, I think Shane Beck really pulled up on the theming here after really laying the groundwork pretty well. Um, and that's a shame. Well, it's almost like he's like found his own personal Vietnam in Los Angeles because he's like he's <laughs> able just to like wantonly like murder any 
criminal that he runs across and like yeah. faces like no no repercussions for just sort of like blowing his way through the entire city. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, and the movie really goes off the rails at the end when they drive a car through a house and then like set up this, you know, bare knuckle brawl between a cop and a... Yeah, that was inexplicable. <laughs> that was nonsense. so astonishing. Yeah, that part. Uh, for that to happen where they're like, they could just arrest him. But no, like everyone's watching. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead, it turns into like a dog fight where they're... And it, it felt so out of tone with the rest of the film. Because, like, the rest of it was, like, heightened, like, you know, an action cop movie is. But this is, like, much more heightened. Like, yeah. It's and really another level. The scene is, like, the Gary, B- Gary Busey's, like, the last remaining bad guy. Right. And he is not able to accomplish his mission, but he knows where Danny Glover's family lives. So, out of, like spite he goes to Danny Glover's house to like kill his family but he's been beaten there by Gibson and Danny Glover right mm-hmm. they able they're able to disarm him and then offer rather to rather than to arrest him to just have like a bare knuckle brawl <laughs> on the front <laughs> him front and lawn yeah um both cops seem okay with this and then as they're fighting other cops arrive on the scene right because it's like a real emergency and they're just cool with it too so there's like a, a gladiator fight that like well, it happens and, and, on the front lawn, like with like weapons and right, like he's literally imperiled at one point. Like it looks like he might die on more than one occasion. Yeah. yeah, and like nobody intervenes. No, yeah, for either of them. Yeah, and then like they end the fight, and Gary Busey miraculously pulls a gun out of nowhere out of the other cop's holster or whatever. And they get to gun him down anyway. Like, they yeah. still shoot him. Yeah. That cracked me up. That came out of nowhere. And yeah. they, they get to, like, boondog saints there. Right. They just fucking shoot him anyway. And it's like, okay. Like, that's the only justice that this movie is capable Ooh, of conceptualizing. They, uh, they, like, hug shoot him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like Mel Gibson and Danny Glover are hugging, and they've turned, <laughs> yeah, still, still with arms around each other and, and fire away and, in uh, sync. Yeah, kill <laughs> Gary Busey. See, like they're they're real partners now. Yeah, yeah, and very phallic, whipping out their guns since they embrace. So yeah, I think this movie really goes off the rails um, in a bad way at, at, for the act. It's it's essentially Judge Dredd just without. Any of the critique of like fascism, right? Like, yeah, and it's something that that Shane Black fixes later on in his career. Yeah, right? like this is this is something that uh, Nice Guys does not do. Kiss Kiss Bang 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 doesn't do that. Iron Man Three doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. Like he he finds a way to connect the conclusion of his movie with the themes that he's been developing throughout, such that he's really one of the, it, it, at least in modern cinema, the, the one of the writers with the strongest sense of theme that that drives his movie forward. Um, and you see the growing pains getting to that point here in this movie, I think, uh, where he just kind of loses the thread uh, by the end yeah. and kind of indulges in some pretty unfortunate sequences. It really feels like a mess as soon as Gary Busey and the other dude actually come into the picture directly. Right? They just kind of go all over the place. Yeah, I think there's a few moments you could point to. It might be like when the helicopter shows up and they shoot that guy that's giving away the plan. It might be like when the daughter is kidnapped. Or it might be like the torture scene. Yeah, I mean, they have like a weird standoff in the desert. Yes. Right? And like, I feel like that's when it kind of went off the rails and it got really that's weird. Probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like, I don't know, none of these action scenes seem particularly compelling to me either. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, total nonsense. 
Yeah. <laughs> There's like nothing interesting about the cinematography or choreography of these action scenes. It's just the like very basic people are shooting at each other. They're yeah, more confusing than they were anything else. Yeah. Like the the desert scene shootout, like all the bad guys show up in two cars and then in like again, inexplicably, a helicopter following the two cars yeah. at car height at the same speed. So extra. it didn't <laughs> it didn't seem to necessitate a helicopter because it yeah. was driving like a car. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that must have been the same helicopter that Gary Busey was in when he oh, yeah. assassinated. Yeah. What's his name? But there was still, like, no reason. I don't know. It yeah. was just, like... It's for style points. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the, that's largely on um, Richard Donner to make those decisions. Who, Shane Black did not direct this. Richard Donner directed this. Yeah. Um, who's the same guy that did the Chris Reeves Superman movies. Mm. Um, who we, we watched earlier. Um, and I guess it's that's on him to, like, direct these sequences. And he's kind of... In my understanding of him, my impression of him is that he's really kind of just a work-a-day type of director, that he will kind of direct whatever popular movie they need him to direct. Mm -hmm. And he does it efficiently and, and does a fine job. Um, but yeah, that he, yeah, I think he kind of loses the thread here cinematically um, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that said, I think the beginning of this movie, or really like at least the first half of this movie, works really well. Like, I liked it, and I was, like, into it, and I was... It's kind of remarkable how well-constructed it is yeah. throughout the early parts. Like, that, I think, is very effective. What was, like, the turn for you? I think probably that sequence. Like, when they're in the desert, or, like, perhaps, like, the moment that the guy gets assassinated. But even that is, like, a, a reasonable plot point. Like, that makes sense to me. So, but like, probably, like, when the daughter gets kidnapped. Like, that feels like yeah, the cheapest move goes available. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think it, it strikes to the other major problem with this movie. It's really misogynistic. Holy shit. Like, there's really no other word for what this yeah. movie is. It really hates women. It's been something that's pegged on Shane Black for his entire career and still dogs him. And part of the reason is that this movie is just so obviously loathing towards its female characters. Like, it opens with a gratuitous titty shot and then, like, cuts to woman tragically dying while leaving a beautiful corpse. Right? Like, that's that's it. Like... There are no women with significant speaking roles. Everyone is either a, a daughter, a whore, or a mom. And like that is the space for women available in this movie. And I'm like, that's the whole thing. Mm. And that stinks. <laughs> that is that is a real thing. Well, the other thing about like the daughter being kidnapped is that it it kind of gives them license just to like go yeah. nuts, like because they're like, oh, now that my family's involved, like I don't need to pay attention to the rules or to the law, right? It's, 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 the body count grows like kind of exponentially at that point, right? And it's yeah. the, it's the Murtaugh character that really changes, right? Like what what you need, or I guess what how the movie should function is that like Riggs should be learning that Mel Gibson is Riggs, right? Okay, he should be learning that you know going hog wild and shooting everybody that he runs into is probably contributing to his depression and suicide. And that <laughs> this is not a healthy way to engage with the world. Yeah. And that's not what happens. The, oppo it's the opposite. The opposite happens. Like yeah. you have Mel Gibson and Danny Glover have that conversation in front of the Christmas tree where Mel Gibson says, well, like, if we want to rescue her, you got to do it my way. And then Danny Glover says, that's right, Mel, we have to do that. And they do. And like, that's how the movie plays out. Yeah, and they murder like dozens and of people. they kill everybody. I didn't think about that. That's, that's fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Murtaugh goes from shooting people in the leg and like, you know, lecturing Riggs about, you know, having a live suspect to interrogate and all right. that to just killing people. Right. Like they give them the conversation, like, try not to kill anybody tomorrow, including yourself. 
And then he does, and then like midnight rolls around. He's like, "All right, that was yesterday. <laughs> now, we have to start, now we have to start killing now everybody." Now it's murder o'clock. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Let's let's do it, buddy. He's like, "Ah, yesterday sucked." Yeah, <laughs> and that plot device though is like it gives them the li- like the license to yeah. kill. Like yeah. it's like, oh, well, your family's involved, so you'll do anything for your family. Which I think is why it feels so cheap, right? Like yeah. it's dumb to death. And mm-hmm. two, like that, it, it removes Murtaugh's character from the movie essentially, right? Like he, he just becomes another guy with a gun, mm-hmm. right? And he, he and whatever character development and like motivations and perspective and psychology he had up until this point is replaced with my daughter is missing. Also, yeah. any sense of like police work goes out the window too, because right, right. up, up until that point they had been like investigating the crime and like following the leads. It's procedural. It was a procedural. Yeah, yeah. like talking to witnesses and and it was interesting and, cool, com- yeah. and compelling and it worked. And then they just like don't do that anymore, and it, it becomes commando or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, which is I think in a sense what the nice guys is about, right? Like nice guys feels very responsive to this movie, mm-hmm. and it feels it feels like a fixed version of this movie. Um, Crossman, have you seen? Yeah, nice oh guys? yeah, nice guys is great. Yeah, the movie's great. It might be my favorite Shane Black movie. Like now that we're a few years removed from it, like I think I feel <laughs> more comfortable saying that. It's really, really good. It follows really similar plotting to this. Mismatched, you know, investigators. They're not cops in this one. They're private investigators. They're looking into a missing girl case. They find out that she's tangled up in porn in some way. Like, one of the cops is kind of a loose cannon, but, like, in a different way, than a more interesting way than Riggs, mm-hmm. right? And you see that play out where, like, the, the theming of the movie, which is kind of about how, like, old people, like, should listen to young people more. <laughs> <laughs> and that, like plays into the conclusion and, and resolution of the film and also doesn't conclude with a bunch of murder, right? Like where someone dying in Nice Guys like feels impactful and significant because yeah. it's not, you know, gunning down folks in the streets of LA. And like that feels so responsive and running parallel to with the weapon in a way that I'm sure Shane Black, who both wrote and directed Nice yeah. Guys, it was aware of. Like that that seems like doubtless, to me. and it was way funnier too. And it was way funnier. Yes, <laughs> yes, it was. Man, that, that movie is very funny. It gets me yeah, every time. I've seen it a few times now, despite it only being a few. A few years I need old. to see it again. I only saw it the one time it, in theaters. So. It holds up. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> keeps being great. Yeah, I love that movie. Have you seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? I have not yet. Okay, Cross, have you seen that one? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's the one that like brought Robert Downey Jr. back. Uh-huh. Um, so because like, he was like, so a, the MCU is res- it's responsible for the MCU. It really is. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a big part of the reason why Shane Black got that Iron Man three gig oh. is that he believed in Robert Downey Jr. when he was you know a recovering addict and Val Kilmer too. And Val Kilmer, yeah, yeah, who's also great in that movie. Um, yeah. it's much closer to Nice Guys than Lethal Weapon, and it's. Very good. I think that's his first directing job. Shane mm-hmm. Black's was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, named after a Pauline Kael book. Okay. Um, Mel Gibson's in this movie. And <laughs> we didn't know at the, in 1987 that he was a total fucking shithead. <laughs> it seems quite apparent. In 87? Well, just on screen. Oh, based so. on this movie? Yeah. <laughs> like the character is certainly a total Well, he looks shithead. like he's not acting in a lot of scenes. <laughs> That's it's fair. just like a wild-eyed like Mel Gibson. Yeah, I mean, I like which, the performance. Like, I think he's good here. I think that he really like makes this character feel more plausible and lived in. Um, and so for that, I think it, it it works. It looks like a documentary like shot <laughs> from his like <laughs> from Sydney. <laughs> yeah, I, I did appreciate yeah. the the scene at the beginning where 
uh, he's planning to shoot himself. I thought that was very powerfully done. It was, and that like it's tough to make that tonal shift. Like yeah. that's to Richard Donner's credit. Like that they're yeah. able to like have you know here's a bunch of cop stuff at the beginning, and it's like here's this really intense serious character moment, and like yeah. have that still function. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's. Yeah, I thought that was well. maybe the most effective scene in the whole movie. Like, I had yeah. a pretty visceral reaction to it. Yeah, yeah, as, as one should. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting that Glover is in this film at all because I think of him as like he's one of the like most lefty like uh, Hollywood people out there. Mm-hmm. Like, he was like an early endorser of like Bernie Sanders, and he's like done all this like 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 a lot of work that's like seems antithetical to this movie yeah i mean i don't know what his politics were like in 1987 like it was that's fair 30 years ago so it, it, it it's hard to say but um yeah I, th- I don't know what it was either that, that drove him to this movie despite the reactionary politics yeah i mean it seems like it I mean, I'm sure he made a lot of movie uh, money from this series. <laughs> yeah, so, they made four of them. Yeah, they made, they made four. It's well remembered. It's in syndication constantly. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I I can I get why he may be attracted to the role, right? Like, there's there's stuff going on with this character that is compelling, and like how he has to balance his job with his family and all that stuff, and like the the I think the dialogue is pretty tight and like pretty snappy, and it works for me, especially a lot of Murtaugh's lines, um, and I think that he probably saw like a movie star in Mel Gibson and said, yep, yeah, I will I will sign up for that. Like I, I will do that one. Is this Mel Gibson's like first like big American film? No, this film? was after Mad Max. Oh. No, but that was a Nazi film though. Oh, you first like a big American movie? Yeah. Um I I don't know. But like Mad Max certainly played here and like did well here. For mm-hmm. sure. But that was still like a small movie when it came out, like relatively. Yeah. So I mean maybe it was Mad Max that like got him this job. That would make sense to me. Um, especially because there's like parallels between those two characters. <laughs> Has had the Mad Max sequels come out by now? I think the second one might have. Then, okay. Yeah, Road Warriors probably. Yeah, all three. Uh, all three had come out. All three, yeah. Okay. When did Thunderdome come out? Uh, Eighty-five. Really? Uh, I thought it was later than that. No, um, I, I think they knocked those those out. They, yeah, they must have made those in very <laughs> rapid succession. <laughs> yeah. Well, Road Warrior was eighty-one. And the first one is like seventy something, seventy nine. Oh, uh, I think I forget as, that that's a seventies series. Yeah, I think of it as an eighties movie. But I would, I mean, to be fair, to Glover, that, that probably did motivate him, right? Like, here's a young upcoming star in a you know big marketable movie. Like, yeah, the paycheck was probably pretty nice, and he was right. This right. looks like yeah, it's probably his first like big American film. There's some other films, but they they're not. Yeah, there's like a, a Mutiny on the Bounty movie that he did in 84. Really? They remade Mutiny on the Bounty with, with Bill Gibson? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, that movie's, like, the original is great. It's called The Bounty. Okay, sure. Uh, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here, but it looks like a ship movie called The Bounty. So That seems like a safe guess, yes. Yeah, so then Thunderdome comes out in 85 and then Lethal, Lethal Weapon in 87. Oh. Okay. Have you seen so, Mutiny on the Bounty? The first one? Um, ages ago. The movie's great. Yeah. The movie's really great. Have you seen Vinny on the Bounty? I've not heard of it. Oh, it's really, it's about a, it's a true, true story. True story, yeah. About yeah. like the, the crew that takes over a ship and it's really, really good. It's a great movie. Um, okay, so yeah, that makes sense. And frankly, this is probably the role that people most, still, a lot of people still most strongly associate Mel Gibson with. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, it's this or Mad Max, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I guess there might be some science fans out there or something. Braveheart yeah. was big. Braveheart, yeah, okay, Braveheart. All right. of course. That's, that's fair. Um, but yeah, I think this movie kind of does fit into like the 
the same category where we put like Woody Allen movies and things now, and that we now know the guy is like super problematic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we might have wanted a disclaimer up front <laughs> about this and didn't do it. Um, but I, I kind of, my, my position on this, I think, has softened within the last year or two. Yeah. And like I am now, not softened might be not the right word, but I am more troubled by these kind of movies and these kind of figures in these movies. Um, I don't really think I've watched a Woody Allen movie since um, since Me Too happened. I don't really think I've seen a Mel Gibson movie since then until t- this one. So if somebody decided that they don't want to watch Mel Gibson movies anymore, I would I would kind of get that. Yeah, would, that yeah would, for sure. Fair. That would make sense to me. Um, and if someone decided they didn't want to listen to a bunch of people talking about Mel Gibson for an hour, I would, <laughs> I would get that too. That's fair. Yeah. But anyway, what do we think about, we, we touched on a little bit, what do we think about Glover in this movie, the other, the other half of the pairing? Like as, as, as his, a performer here. Um, I liked his character. I mean, it was interesting to see yeah. like the kind of suburban man take and how that contrast with Briggs and all that. It just, as we discussed before, <laughs> that all just kind of falls away sure when his daughter gets kidnapped. So it's like, it's such a wasted opportunity, right? And it's also sad to see that you pointed out the character take a bad turn as the mm-hmm. movie goes along. Yeah, which is a bummer. Because like the, the scene where he invites Riggs over to dinner, like that's a really sweet sequence. Yeah. Right? Like I really like that a lot. And he like yeah. is kind of joking around with his kids and his wife and he's, you know, poking fun where appropriate, but he's still like warm and inviting yeah. and all this or, stuff. Or when he's like when he pulls Riggs aside after the after he helps the guy who's threatening to jump. Yeah. And like really tears into him. Like mm-hmm. that was a very powerfully done scene. I like that. Like yep. he has a very like strong side to him, right? Right. Or or like or before that when the he shoots that suspect in the leg and then Riggs ends up killing him when he pulls the gun on on uh, Murtaugh and he has a moment like, you saved my life, right? And like he has yeah. a like a Tries to connect with him. Oh, that was that that was a funny scene because he's given this long ass lecture <laughs> about how we like don't kill the suspect. And right. We 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 book him and <laughs> interview him later. There he goes. Right. And then immediately blows up <laughs> in his head in his face. So yeah, that was a pretty funny scene. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that scene worked for me, and it's again part of the that felt like something that could have fit into Nice Guys or Kiss Kiss Bang. Yeah. Rather than. Um, and that and that Shane Black recognized that and adopted stuff like that later in his career rather than yeah, stuff it's just in the last half. Going into the movie, you think the point of the movie is that his character is going to kind of soften Riggs' character, right? Yes. And obviously, that's not what happened. No, I just kind of lost track and forgot that that's not what was happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm curious, Charles, how you avoided this movie for so long. This seems like something you would like, right? Like an '80s action movie, major hit, huge franchise. Usually that's right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just kind of happened. I mean, it's the same as every other movie I haven't seen, right? Okay. It just kind of happened. And like... Were you confused when Jingle Bells started at the beginning <laughs> of the film? Maybe a tiny bit. I feel like a lot of these <laughs> Jingle movies... Jingle Bell Rock. Yeah. A lot of these movies are set during Christmas. So. All of Shane Black's movies. It's his thing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, okay. think, I think all of them. I haven't seen the new Predator he did. Is that a Christmas? I don't, I don't recall it being a Christmas movie. Okay, well, maybe he broke his streak then. It it seemed to yeah. fit. It was about control. veterans. It was about veterans. Okay, I mean, because so. yeah, even Iron Man three is a Christmas movie. So okay. yeah, I think he does it in in all of them. It's his it's his thing. I don't remember the original Predator being about Christmas either. Yeah, he didn't write that though. He just was in it. He was in it. I thought he wrote it, or he was a script doctor for it. He was. That's why they. That's why they hired him to be yeah. as get into an acting role, is so that he, he he would write two lines, which he did. 
he, he I forgot what they were, but it was like two jokes that he ended up right, right. I don't think he actually got a writing credit for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but no, that was not a Christmas, you are correct. <laughs> Why do they set these during Christmas? I mean, they, they have the Murtaugh like, family angle, and I guess it's like heightened a bit during Christmas time. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, my theory is that it is now a Shane Black trademark, and it like, makes it more marketable. And it works. Like, he's a sought-after yeah, screenwriter. they do this in a lot of action movies, right? Like, they always have the joke about Die Hard being a Christmas movie. Sure. Like, why does that movie need to be set during Christmas? I mean, that, I don't know. Like, it does set up... Like, well, it's an office party. Right. Okay. There is that. And, yeah. and, and it does set up, like, some set pieces and, like, some interesting lighting options, right? Because you do have things where it's like, here's this these Christmas lights that are lighting this sequence. Here's a Christmas tree okay. that they could smell. Like, I think it, it, yeah. part of it is that it just kind of sets that up. Um, but I don't. I don't really know if there's a well, an answer. One answer. Um, so, but it, it, you're correct that it does happen a lot. Um, speaking of which, like the uh, the police car driving through the house in this one. Yeah, I was thinking about that. You were thinking because I mean it reminded me because they smashed into the yeah they smashed into the Christmas tree. It's quite surprising. It is quite surprising. <laughs> it is quite surprising. Um, is that supposed to be the car that the cops that were shot? That Gary Busey killed at the beginning of that sequence were in. Is that, so did they remove the dead cops? From I like quickly <laughs> wondered to myself if that was Where true, that and then just from? like threw the question away. You're <laughs> so, never gonna know. You're never gonna know. But, but if you can imagine, there weren't there weren't any other cops there, right? There, there's like a lot of movie travel that happens in this movie, yeah. and it's like hard to track. Like, because because that the the desert that they go to would be like. Sure. Hours away from LA. Hours. Right. hours. <laughs> Not by helicopter, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just played around in the helicopter for a while for everybody else to Yeah, show. and they're like, they're out in uh, Malibu or Playa Vista at some point, and then, like, they're just moving all over in ways that yeah. it's, like, not possible. Right. Like, yeah. once you learn a city, like, that stuff becomes much more distracting. Like, yeah. I've never been to LA. I don't know where any fucking thing is in LA. But, like, I remember watching John Wick 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was at the Fulton Station, like downtown, yeah. like way downtown in New yeah. York. And he and there's a sequence where he exits the Fulton Street Station and he's in Lincoln Center. Yep, I, I remember that like, very here it is, like 70 blocks north of here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that, that doesn't work at all. So, right. yeah, I'm sure that there are probably plenty of Shane Black movies because they're all in LA that like totally ignore LA geography. And. You know, that is what it is. Yeah. I suppose. Especially because that's such a car centric city. But, like, I was imagining, like, so there must have been this grisly sequence where <laughs> Mel Gibson and Danny Glover have to remove the recently shot bodies of their fellow police officers from the Disturbing this car, the crime scene. Disturbing a crime scene just so they could run a, a police car through his own fucking house yep. to, like, <laughs> really get Gary Busey, right? Like, they could have just snuck up on him. There were two of them, and yeah. they had the drop on him. Like, no, they had to drive a fucking car, and, like, this was the process. That and all, this, all it does is, like, distract him, too. Right, because all the, then, like... It's surprisingly Mel, ineffective. Mel comes and hops from around the corner and, like, has a gun to his head, and it's like, gotcha. Like, that's it. They did have him. Yeah. <laughs> that's the whole thing. You didn't need the car for that. <laughs> you didn't need the car for that. You didn't need to mess with these bodies to do that. Yeah. And it's just like, geez, that doesn't seem worth it at all. <laughs> now he has a giant hole in his wall. I can appreciate a hilariously extra scene, though. It's just was really like, funny. That whole last sequence was just so far beyond anything that was necessary. There is also... Um, when Glover's like holding the grenade mm -hmm. and he's like, he's like, if I drop it, we'll all die. And there's yeah. guys like 
pretty far away. That yeah, cracked me up like, too. That, <laughs> that like, is tiny. This is, yeah, I was like, I think everybody's fine, but you. <laughs> it's you. Yeah. Yeah, and then it works out to be a smoke grenade, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't. Again, I have little experience with grenades, so I don't know how big their blast radius is, but yeah, it doesn't seem like he was going to get everybody there unless he tosses it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're correct. There are little things that you can pick at with this movie um, <laughs> that yeah, are kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, did you like it? Like, did you enjoy watching this movie? Like, even for the first half? I, uh, I thought I thought I enjoyed like I enjoyed the first half of it. Right. Yeah, that is true. And then it just kind of tailed off for me, and I'm like, wait, I'm bored now. Okay, because I, I I really was into it. Like, I really enjoyed the first half. I was like, I'm bored. Like, this is. Oh, the, the shooting range scene was great too. The shooting range scene was great. Very masculine, right? Like it is. <laughs> very it is. They're they're showing off their shooting prowess. They're doing detective work and discovering holes in the story. Mm-hmm. And then they had the little smiley face scene, which I thought was pretty cute. Well, and it's it's so so much like just Mel Gibson charisma in that scene as he's like, they have them hold down the button and the thing goes all yeah. the way down to the end. They, they just let fires. it like go all the way down. And then he holds it again and it comes all the way back from there and he's just like mugging for the camera the whole time. <laughs> like, yeah, this is very, very much... That, that's a scene that a lot of actors couldn't have made work. And I think that it's largely on the talents of, of Gibson in that one. There's a reference to that scene in Den of Thieves, I realize now. Nice. Oh, really? Yeah. What do they do? It's, it's similar, but it's like the cop and the robber like... Oh, okay. like at it. Whipping them out? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> a, a metaphorical pissing contest? I'm, yeah, these, I don't know about the, like the, these sort of like right wing fantasy movies, I'm kind of like over. Getting over it? Yeah. yeah. I hear that. And, the, and, well, they're dated. They don't really make them like this anymore. They so. totally do. Like yeah, the, we were talked about uh, Day of the Soldado oh, right, a yeah, few weeks ago. I just yeah. don't watch them, I guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch them anymore because there's better examples of them now, right? Like you have stuff like John Wick, for instance, that kind of doesn't doesn't fall into those traps. Um, but yeah, this one I think does. Like I think that this is a, there's a very reactionary politic at the heart of this movie and it's not very subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, it feels like an example, because I don't think that's necessarily Shane Black's conscious politics, because I think if you look at his other movies, like Nice Guys and Iron Man 3 and so forth, it doesn't do that, right? Like, you, it, I think it's fair to call Nice Guys an actually progressive movie. Like, it has some interesting ideas about, like, how generations interact with each other and how older generations tend to treat younger generations, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these are interesting progressive notions. And so I'm wondering if this movie isn't either A, uh, just a young man who has not had to develop politic yet, which is probably a lot of it because he was 22 when he wrote this or whatever, or if it's someone who's not thinking about politics at all and just like leaning on tropes and leaning on the stuff that's around him and the absence of politic being necessarily then reflecting the presence of whatever politic is around you. I think there's just like a thirst for this kind of movie in the 80s. And like, there obviously is. Like, they made so many. Yeah, I mean, there's so many 80s movies that cater to these violent fantasies. Right, because that's how the government about, was like, super the, cops. Yeah, so. like that that was the narrative that the Reagan administration was pushing at the time. So, of course, it's going to show up in our media. Oh, yeah, this is like a really, like, uh, anti-drug movie. <laughs> yes. Uh yeah, that's the, oh, that's the big terrible thing. It's explained away later with the the woman at the beginning. She does like a single line of cocaine and yes. then like falls off the balcony. It's like 
She deserved it. Uh, it's basically like a dare scene. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? It, it <laughs> yeah. does, yeah, like an after school special or something. Yeah, it reads out, like, this is, if you do one cocaine, this will. This will. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to end up through the hood of this car. It's like, yeah. all right. Um, Although they kind of, they do at one point say that like they they should legalize weed um, when they're like talking between yeah Mel Gibson is, huh. is pro legalization the the Riggs character so yeah it's legalization way ahead of their time yeah and um, and even Murtaugh like doesn't really come down on his daughter that hard when he finds out that she was smoking it's like he's grounded right it's like okay and it's interesting because they do bring in like the the notion that like heroin came from Vietnam mm-hmm. and like the, which is like the real hi- history of it. Oh, yeah. Like the CIA was involved in like uh, giving money to drug lords in Vietnam and all these like uh, soldiers got hooked on heroin and ended up bringing it back to the U S sure. and it's sort of like the, one of the real beginnings of the opioid em- epidemic that we're all experiencing right now. Um, yeah, and so it does touch on that. But. Yeah, but it's weird. It's very like mixed. Like what's what's right. happening here? Right. Because I mean, but at the same time, it's like cool to like kill all these like drug dealers. Right. No, but on, then on the other hand, all these drug dealers are also like former CIA operatives. Yeah. Right. And like that's a good thing. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> so it's it it really is kind of it, which which is why I think this might just be a confused political perspective rather than mm-hmm. an affirmatively intentionally reactionary one. I think that, that Shane Black really just doesn't think about how this stuff, or wasn't thinking about how this stuff was going to play. Um, and this, and of course, when that happens, what you usually end up with is something conservative. And here we are. Or you also like have to get it through a studio system that's like always going to be on the side of sure, a, like a militarized government. Yeah, I mean, and this movie did go through a lot of rewrites. Like apparently, the original script that Shane Black um, had, had drafted was somehow much darker. Right, like, they, like it was longer and much darker, and they like brought in some other guy who was uncredited to like line it up a little bit, and that's closer to the movie that was actually produced. Um, so who knows what that other movie looks like? Uh, Shane Black, I guess. But um, yeah, so this it, it may not all be on him. It's rarely you can point to one person being accountable for anything that happens in a movie because it's just such a collaborative form. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think this is identifiably the product of a young writer yeah a young screenwriter um, for better or worse so how did this become a franchise like i assume it was just like hugely successful when the first movie came out right yeah, but, like, i think it, i think it's just nothing this, seems that remarkable about this movie to me i don't know if it was like more remarkable in its time or something i think that yes i, um, I think it's like uh it's well made like for an 80s movie, it looks pretty good still. Okay. Yeah. And even though, like, it doesn't seem remarkable now, but I don't know. It seems like just like a very confidently made movie. <laughs> okay. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Well, I think the my theory would be that the most significant part is just the strength of the performances, right? Like, it's just okay. the charisma of Mel Gibson playing against the straight man of Danny Glover, and, like, that'll put a lot of butts in seats. Like, it, it feels like a star power movie to me. Um, okay. And as evidenced by the numerous sequels that that is produced, and like that, Mel Gibson really became a big star following this movie. Um, I, I think that that is probably a lot of it. Okay. That people just like Mel Gibson in this movie, and frankly, I like Mel Gibson in this movie. So. Yeah, and there's like a real thirst for like policing movies from the era, like. Yeah, it's just like a really anti-crime era, and everybody's freaked out about crime, and you know, 
Robocop comes to mind. And, it, well, yeah. it, Shane Black is on, on record stating that he was explicitly inspired by Dirty Harry. Yeah, Dirty Harry. Right, <laughs> sequels were coming out in the 80s. Sure, but yeah. the, the original one had come out in the 70s. Yeah. yeah. And the, apparently that's like the primary inspiration for this movie was that that particular Dirty Harry movie where he spends the whole movie gunning down drug dealers and hippies. And, you know, this, yeah, I, get, I, get, I can kind of see that. Have you seen Dirty Harry? I have not. Okay. I don't want to watch Dirty Harry. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's part of it as well. And that's like a famously reactionary movie. Like that, That's one that Pauline Kael led into. Like she made a, she made a lot of hay uh, harping on Dirty Harry and its very, very considerations. Um, so kind of ironic that Shane Black would name a book name a movie after one of her books later on in his career. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure the Vietnam themes made this movie resonate a lot too because okay. like, we're still like very yeah. close to Vietnam even yeah. even when this film comes out. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's all of those things. Like, yeah, it is. It feels like a very like present movie in the eighties. So yeah, yeah. But the you know a sequel comes out two years later, so that's like a sign that it like did very well and was immediately, like immediately put into yeah. production. Iron is hot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any closing thoughts on Lethal Weapon? Just kind of disappointed based on its yeah. reputation. Okay. I mean, I was. I, I guess my my expectations were perhaps more tempered than yours, um, but I I still enjoy it as like mostly a functional buddy cop movie until the disastrous last portion of it. Um, I, and for that, I think it's still worthwhile. I was shocked by how yeah. dark it is. <laughs> yeah. okay. We have three very different reactions to this. Yeah, movie. I was expecting just like a straight buddy comedy. <laughs> yeah. And it's not that. Like, at yeah. all. And I guess I got yeah. more out of that stuff too. I think that that added a lot of texture for me that I found compelling. Right, like the, the, the treatment of suicide and like kind of the serious treatment of suicide early in this movie. Um, I wish that that serious treatment of it had continued to the conclusion of the movie, um, and it did not. But I think that that uh, is still worthwhile for me, and like still worthwhile as someone that has followed a lot of Shane Black's career, like seeing this beginning of it and like how it kind of how, how he grew out of that um, was interesting. Yeah, yeah. And this, it, it, this actually reminds me. There's there's one thing I really enjoy in like the buddy cop style movies that was missing here is the the kind of physical comedy in action sequences. Sure. Usually they'll have one of the two partners be a little more bumbling or a little more silly or Beverly something like that. Stop, right. Yeah, something like that. And they have to contend with them like, you know, always like almost getting shot or messing up during an action scene. And those are always really fun to watch a competent character like play around that. They didn't have any of that here, right? There's nothing interesting in that respect. There's a reference to the three stooges in the scene where he's yeah. like trying to buy the heroin. Mm -hmm. He like pokes one guy in the eyes and like pulls the other's nose oh. and then like does something happens to the third guy. I think slaps him a little bit. Yeah. And then immediately in the scene after when he's about to kill himself, like the street the three students are like playing in the background. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So there there is that. But yeah, you're right. Like because we have Glover who is competent and then we have um, Gibson who is super competent <laughs> and like that's yeah. the range of so you think maybe here. he'd like get unhinged and like you know kind of run out and expose himself <clears throat> out of cover, and then have then Glover has to take care of the situation, right? Or something like that. But it's just straight up people shooting at each other, yeah. and that's all that happens. And yeah. So like it's not Action enough. Movie. Action movie, yeah. Um, so no, I hear your point. That's that is what do it. We will be back in a moment with things we've seen. Uh, stay tuned.
And we're back with things we've seen. This is a section where we talk about other movies we've seen recently uh, outside of the context of this podcast. Uh, and this week we've got the big one. Uh, we've all seen uh, the Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Um, so what did y'all think of yeah, Endgame? Well, disclaimer up front, we've recorded these way in advance. Yeah. So we didn't wait like a month and a half to see the biggest movie of the year. Um, we saw it you know, opening weekend. But you are hearing about it now because we care about spoilers and because we record these way ahead of time. Um, so yeah, Charles, what do you think about Endgame? Uh, I was very happy with Endgame. Yeah, good. I, it was so entertaining. It was very satisfying, and I didn't. I, I love like okay. So I mean, we're definitely spoiling the movie now, right? So well, yeah, it's been I, I love a good time travel movie, yeah, and so heist. I was so pleased when they were going toward like the kind of time heist plot. And that was yeah. so much fun, and it was also a very clever way to kind of summarize the entire MCU. Um, just kind of do a victory lap for the fans, yes. right? And that was just, it was so satisfying to go back to all the previous scenes, right? Yeah, which is what that was there for. And yeah. it, it worked for, for that. Right? How do you feel about it? Impressment. Uh, I feel relieved. <laughs> relieved? I, do, I don't feel <laughs> obligated to see these movies anymore. Um, <laughs> um, I, like, I don't think that there's much left for me in this series or canon. Yeah, you've been and, down on them for a while. Um, I... My expectations were pretty low, and it exceeded them. It's yeah. it's a fine movie, and I'm, I was happy to see a conclusion. Um, Agreed. I can't imagine watching this having not seen the other movies. It would just be an incoherent nonsense where, like, pretty major actors are very minor characters in this Role. Yeah, it's like um, here's Benedict Cumberbatch for for two seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So got, they pull Robert Redford out of retirement. <laughs> right, Robert Redford shows up out of nowhere. Or Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like what the hell is she doing here? Who is this person? Um, even Natalie Portman is in this for a few seconds. I'm, I'm not. I think that might just be actual footage from Floor Two. Oh, okay. I think that she's like oh, yeah. pretty resoundly refused to be <laughs> to participate in these anymore. Well, and hopefully I, she cut a check for it. I, I think they probably do still have to pay her. Yeah. Probably not as much as the people that actually showed up on set. But I think they do. Well, uh, yeah, I'm glad. The, like the season finale of this TV show has <laughs> happened, and I am I'm more than happy chain. to just like move on. And that's that. Uh, yeah, it, it, for me, the criticism that like this doesn't make sense if you haven't seen the other one isn't a real criticism, right? Because it is uh, like walking into the last episode of a season of TV I, and saying this doesn't make sense to me. I, I still <laughs> okay. found it having watched most of these films to be a bit incoherent, like. Things just seem to like happen, and there's so much being like sandwiched in here. Yeah, I mean, I've seen all of them and paid relatively close attention, so I I, I was able to track what was going on. I, yeah, I like yeah. I, I knew what was happening, but like it still felt like things just kind of like occur, and you're just supposed to, you're not supposed to like question anything. Well, right? and the, yeah. the the time heist plot, like the middle section of that movie, will not stand up to any it's, close scrutiny at all. It, yeah, any. It was fun, and like you take it for what it is because it's comic books and comic book movie. Fine, yeah. But like, if you really want to unpack how all that shit works, it to won't work at all. Totally, don't do that. Totally incoherent. Yeah, yeah. Like I that. think it's a fine take on time travel. It's not yeah, no, it, it is. But like, it, like there are so many things about it that if you really like, how does so the scene where um, the present day, I guess Steve Rogers like enters that elevator when they're in Adventure One timeline. And gives the hail Hydra signal to the other guys, in which the, is hilarious. Which is hilarious, and a comic reference, which is great. Yeah, like so, We're like making fun of the comics, which, right? So, like when that happens, like how does that impact the events of Winter Soldier? Like I don't know, and I think that well, it's easy. It splits off another reality where Winter Soldier happens different. I guess it right? wasn't. <laughs> yeah, that 
That's what I got to eventually was Charles' explanation. That right. They're just like, it's there. They are in separate realities such that it doesn't affect their current timeline. Right. Current and, being like and the, which the is, end game timeline. And that is the comic explanation, right? Like you have all of these different universes that are just numbered in yeah. the Marvel canon. And I guess they're introducing that concept into the MCU now, which was, in fact, its own number within the Marvel canon. <laughs> so who the hell knows what's going to happen Right, now. that's the easiest way to make time travel make some sense, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's fine. Yeah, no, I, I think it's fine, too. Um, but I think that if you really try to unpack this stuff, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get a little sticky. And we're correct to say, okay, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, like, but then Captain America goes back in time and stays there, but yes. ends up in the correct timeline right that's the so, only part that's a little inconsistent but i'm yeah. not gonna worry about it it's right. dramatic and like what happens when he shows up to return the soul stone and red skull is there i don't know <laughs> like, does also... he just give it to like, right. but red skull's like the big bad from the first adventure <laughs> no i understand that okay. but, but then he ends up being the like guardian of the soul stone right i don't uh, yeah again i yeah, don't know can you return it to sender i these are all questions that would likely never it be answered. It doesn't matter. He gave it, it back. It's all right. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter. Um, and he, again, you have to kind of watch around. Like, here's Steve Rogers in 1949 or whatever it was when he went back to. And, like, he knows that S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be infiltrated by Hydra. And he just kind of hangs around for six decades <laughs> until who, who knows, right? Yeah. And it's like, like, my future self's got this. Right. And I guess that's the logic there. Um, so, okay, I, I, I think that if you just accept that as, like, this character that fans love getting the thing he wants, and, like, this is how it do, how they, the movie decided to do that, like, then it works. And, like, that's fine. I did appreciate the sort of, like, pretty clear F you to the vocal alt-right fans. When the... um, so there's a few scenes that do this. Uh, first is like all, basically all the women of, of the so MCU. pandering to me. Yeah, yeah. Sort of come out and like God. get Thanos. Um, and then all the handoffs at the end of the movie are to non-white actors. Yeah, where it's like, true. oh, you're going to be Thor now. Tessa uh, uh, Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Captain America is uh, Anthony Mackie. Yeah. Yep. So that I, I did appreciate the like. Big middle finger to right. the all, all right fans. I hope they follow through on that. Like, I want to see what the next. I mean, you don't, but I do want to see what the the next iteration of the Avengers team looks like mm-hmm. with Anthony Mackie leading it or Tessa Thompson leading it or whoever it is. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I love Tessa Thompson. I'll watch her in fucking anything. Yeah, and always, <laughs> always. Um, so I, I, that's what I was hoping would happen is that Tessa Thompson takes a bigger role, and I, I hope they follow through on that. Um, I was curious how little they used Brie Larson in this. Like, I anticipated yeah. her. I feel like Captain Marvel's more... character is just writing herself into a corner just because her power level is too high. You, you can't have her do too much, <clears throat> right? So, I, I, what I'm think or what I'm guessing here, if we want to get into the fan theories about what's going to happen in Phase Four, they're going to find a way to um, introduce Fantastic Four because huh. um, that's they have rights to it now because that was a Fox property and that's like the major, you know, iconic property that was missing from the MCU after, since they got Spider-Man Did, Didn't out. they try... Uh, not in the MCU, because they didn't have... The the one with Michael B. Jordan was not... Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. It, I thought yeah. that was like a failed... It was, was failed, like, but it was a, not... A fizzled attempt. At that. It was not. And that gets, that gets two of the best Marvel villains into the MCU. Doctor Doom is probably the best Marvel villain, and Galactus. And I think that <laughs> if, once you have Galactus entering, then you can start having... 
Captain Marvel doing things because yeah. he's like the next huge powerful entity um, that they fight on a regular basis. Um, so I, my guess is that that's where this is going. Is I think that it's going to be Fantastic Four, Doom, Galactus, and that's how they have more Captain Marvel shit going on. Yeah, it's but just it we'll felt kind of weird that they really played up how Captain Marvel is going to be very important in this because yeah. she had like the after credits like pager scene. Yes. Uh, and then obviously her movie, and then like she finds Iron Man and brings like, back. Does the red herring scene with Thanos at the beginning, right, and kind of disappears mm-hmm. until she, she's needed for a Deus Ex Machina at the end. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't uh, think we're as a Deus Ex Machina because she, she really does have an explanation about like he did this to the entire universe. There's other planets other than Earth. They need me more. Like that makes sense to me. And I, yeah, I, I just I mean that. that she happens to show up on Earth at a convenient time, yeah, right? And and, and when they're fighting the big bad and like all of his forces are gathered, like that, okay, that feels yeah. reasonable to me. Like I'm not going to knock the movie for that on a like narrative level. Um, but yeah, I, I was anticipating her just having a bigger role, just because like they hired this Oscar-winning actor and like told everyone like this is the yeah. table setting for <laughs> Endgame, and then she's like not yeah. into that much. Um, but that's fine. Yeah, I think they're just kind of wrapping yes. all their existing storylines. So yeah, which is that's probably true. correct. Yeah, and she's good. like the the future, the of, right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I think they mentioned that they focused more on Thor uh, in Infinity War. Mm-hmm. And then in this one, since they wanted to wrap up Captain America and Iron Man storylines, they focused a lot more on them to yeah. give them the resolution and make it more satisfying. And I think that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And it worked. Like, yeah. it, it was satisfying. What, what moment got the... You guys went to the same screening, right? Yes. No. No. You guys no, focused. You, we all went to different screenings. Yeah, I went to opening night. What got the biggest cheer? My audience was fucking bonkers, but there was a, a lot of cheering. There was a lot of cheering in, in the one that I saw. For the, there was a lot in the one I saw, too. But the biggest moment was definitely when... Captain America picks up the hammer. Probably. Like that oh, that yeah. killed yeah. it. Like everybody that was super awesome. Was super into that. And it was awesome. Like that yeah. totally worked. Uh, yeah, that that got a big one. The like the women of Marvel yeah, scene that, got that a big did too. One. Although it did feel like that 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 felt to me like it really highlighted how little Marvel has actually done for women over the last ten yeah. years. Yeah. The um, the biggest laugh was uh, the appearance of Fat Thor. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, that was which was funny. It was unexpected yeah. too. Yeah, There's nothing yeah. in the trailers about that. So right, out of nowhere. <laughs> just like stays in the fat suit for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I thought they would do something to like fix that, and they just yeah. don't. A bit I enjoyed was when they go back to Guardians <laughs> One. Yeah, to get the stone. Mm-hmm. The audience started singing along to "Come and Get Your Love," which I thought <laughs> was super fun. Yeah, um, and it, cuts the music. It, it cut to silent, and the audience kept singing for like another measure <laughs> oh, that's during good. that scene. But we realized what the scene was oh, doing. The, re- the reappearance of Spider-Man got a big cheer. Yeah, of course. I think Black Panther got a bigger cheer at my screening, but it was pretty close. Okay, <laughs> when those two because they show up. One Black, after Black Panther didn't really make this film. He didn't do a thing. Yeah, he was yeah. in it for like a second. Yeah, his abilities are just so tiny compared to like the scale of things that are happening. Right, right. he just like punches people harder. Yeah. Right, he's like more athletic or something. Yeah, because uh, really, like, have the superpowers is he runs a major country. Yeah, and like, okay, fine. Yeah, um, even Shuri had like the laser arm. Is a bit more useful in that kind of battle than right. claws. Right. Um, well, he has the like charging suit. Yeah. Okay. But, so it can do the wave blast. Thing. Yeah. Right. But yes, yeah, so it's still like <laughs> all right. Good job. Well, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so uh, uh, Widow is dead, and. She didn't get her movie, so it's going to be a prequel because they've announced that they are making a Black Widow movie. So I guess that'll have to happen in the prequel. In a prequel, 
which will be confusing because <laughs> like they're going to be doing you know a phase four after yeah. everything is done now and that'll they'll stick in something that takes place in like the early 2000s or 90s or something I don't know but I was surprised that she bit it I thought it was going to be Jeremy Renner because it, it feels yeah. like Scarlett Johansson loves making these movies feels like Renner wants to make his like art house brooding dude for movies I mean, yeah. he's good yeah. in this. He's yeah. good. Like in the whole, he's a good actor. The whole opening sequence is stirred by him. Yeah, and he's he's great oh, yeah. in it. Yeah, it's, it's like some of the only like acting that happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um, yeah he, he, I mean, he's just a good actor. Period. He's just good in general. Um, it's very reminiscent of Leftovers. That like the first hour of this movie or whatever is very reminiscent of Leftovers. I'm like that. The thing that happens to him where. You guys, neither of you have seen Leftovers? Nope. I have, yeah. Okay, so like, he's Nora Durst, right? Like, the, the, uh, the I, woman who loses all of her, her entire family when the thing happens. Like, it turns out that Hawkeye is the Nora Durst of... <laughs> yeah, but then he becomes like a, a samurai, basically, or a ninja. To... Right, which isn't exactly what happens to, yeah. <laughs> to Nora. Right. But, um, it seemed clear to me that uh, Hawkeye was going to survive there. Because yeah. he's the one with the family, right? The whole point of this is so that he can re- reunite with his right, family. Right, but then he's like making a sacrifice and like a more significant sacrifice. And I thought yeah. that they were setting up the character for that. What I really thought they were setting up and they po- totally pulled away from is having Tony decide between keeping his daughter or bringing everybody back. Like yeah. I thought it was going to be that dynamic. I thought that too. And, and then... it's, it, it feels like that's a missed opportunity. Like that's good drama. Like that is. Yeah. Pretty. That would have been a pretty heart wrenching moment. Right? Yeah, he's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm on board. And yeah. Right. Well, he's on board, and he like never has to make that choice. No. Yeah. He doesn't choose to give up his own life. Right. He does, but it feels. But isn't his character arc about how he started out as like a very selfish person? Right. And he's become selfless. Yeah. Of course, that arc also just happens within the runtime of Iron Man One. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's yeah. chipping away at it throughout the Iron Man. Yeah, right. And right. right. And like here, I mean, it's a, a common arc, but it like it works. Like, yeah. There's a reason and, we keep going back to it. I also appreciated that it's not the usual time travel movie where they just undo all the bad stuff yes. that happened. They, you know, Tony Stark explicitly wants to keep that like kind of five year terrible period where everything happened because they need to because then he gets to keep his daughter. They need to keep, well, yeah, but like you know, it, it, it's thematic, right? You got to yeah. hold on to what you've experienced because right. you, you've become better for which it. Which is Thanos' yeah. point, is that the reason they keep fighting is because they remember he wants to erase memories, right? And so, yeah. of course, which makes this so much more effective than Infinity War, right? Because yeah. Infinity War doesn't engage with the philosophy of anything at all. Total and, nonsense. Yeah, that movie sucks. <clears throat> and like, this movie, like, it doesn't. It, like, actually does kind of engage with what yeah. these characters are, the decisions that they're having to make, um, which I think makes it much more... Uh, yeah. effective. I also the, thought it was funny that they pretty easily kill Thanos at the beginning of this film. Yes, I like that a lot. Like, yeah. totally defying the audience's expectations. That was the way to start the movie. It yeah. was. Like, and I thought that was very good. I thought that was good stuff. Because you expect it to be like, they have to hunt him down, and once they hunt him down, then there's a big showdown, and it like, kind of shifts up a little bit. And that was that was a good choice, I think. Yeah, yeah. and like a, a consistent theme throughout this movie is the whatever it takes line sure. that they keep saying, right? And mm-hmm. they're willing to give whatever it takes to bring everyone back. Yeah. And it's a good direct response to Infinity War where they had the whole like, you know, no trading lives sort of thing, mm-hmm. right? And so it's kind of directly saying like that's wrong and we shouldn't do and that. You learned. have to do whatever it takes to, to save these lives. Yeah, that's a good read, actually. I hadn't picked up on that, but that is a good read. Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I think it's one of the better Marvel movies Outright, like maybe. well, it has an ending. It has an ending. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of them are relatively self. Not all of them, but a lot of them are relatively self-contained. Um, the, the best ones are. 
And so I think that it might be top five for me in terms of like the 22 fucking Marvel movies that sure. I've made now. I thought it was um, great, yeah. yeah. Uh, I am very glad that I was able to watch it real time, so to speak, so yeah. that we could have a year for Infinity War to kind of marinate. And yeah. Like, you're really it means you're really waiting for this one that's right? great it's gonna like people that are that decide to catch up on this 22 movie run like after the fact are gonna have a different experience yeah and maybe they'll notice things that you know people that watch it in real time didn't but you're right. right and it makes the deaths in infinity war more impactful right people were always like oh we know they're gonna come back but like it's more impactful to kind of sit and simmer on it for a year and wonder how they're gonna come back how they're gonna accomplish this difficult task right. And then finally Spider-Man comes back <laughs> after his, like, gripping death scene. And, like, you know, it's more impactful a year later. You're right. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that that is true. Um, and anyway, I, I think it's your pick next, Rossman. Um, so what what's on the docket? Yeah, I'd like to... So I've never seen uh, JFK by Oliver Stone. Oh, shit, I have. <laughs> I remember that movie. That movie is wild. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've heard it's wild. Yes, so that, that I, it is. I would like to watch it. Okay, that is not what I... I don't know what I was expecting you to pick, but it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to watch JFK. Um, all right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we appreciate it. Uh, we are available on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on SoundCloud. Um, we're on Himalaya now. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that works, but we're still figuring it out. <laughs> so if you know how that works, we're there. Um, we're on Facebook. I think we're on Twitter by this point. Um, so if you like us, please subscribe, comment, share. It makes a big difference. Um, and if you're liking the show, please let us know. If you have comments or suggestions, please let us know that as well. And we will be back next week for JFK. See you then. <laughs>